Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 29, the minty taste of Linux Mint 12. Ah, that's lame, but I'm going to leave it. Recorded December 4th, 2011, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. This week we're going to take a look at the uh, relatively new re- newly released uh, version of Linux Mint. It's actually been out a couple weeks, but we didn't really have time to uh, give it a good shakedown before last week's show. So we're going to talk about this week, and uh, with me is my... A uh, panel of fearless and tireless <laughs> co-hosts, uh, the evil, uh, maniacal laughing Aaron Butler, known as the former fat guy. Hey, Aaron. How are you minions doing out there in my world soon to be dominated one pound at a time? <laughs> and Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather who may or may not be wearing pants. Hey, Chris. Hello, hello, everyone. And of course... The ever-present, ubiquitous, gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hey, everybody. Hey, Mark. How is life in the good world of the gooey? Well, it's uh, looking up in terms of job prospects. So, uh, all right. All around pretty good, I guess. All right. Yes, it's good to have an employed gooey whenever possible. Right. Usually. <laughs> do you guys do anything you want to mention in your own lives as we... Uh, round out this weekend after Thanksgiving, or is it two weekends after now? I can't even remember. It is two weekends post Thanksgiving. Well, I, no, I, I actually went down and got a new phone today for myself and my wife, as we were previously discussing. It's a Samsung Stratosphere, my first foray into 4G. Um, and I really had no idea 4G was that fast. To be honest with you, uh, it's it's one better than 3G. Yeah, it's a whole think G it, better. Yeah, well, it's that apparently that's an exponential G because of my. Well, the my, difference between two G and three G is pretty darn amazing. That's true. Yeah, uh, it was. It's yeah. I, I was getting my first preliminary test just sitting in my living room was like twenty one meg down, you know, twelve meg up, uh, which is pretty, pretty ridiculous on a little mobile device like. I that. wonder how but, you'll see that degrade as more and more people get four G devices. Right now, you've got to be a, a you know a pretty small. Uh, percentage of saturation on that node right. well i will say that my good friend i mentioned before kenny scruggs hey kenny if you're listening uh is a is like a quality control tower engineer high level troubleshooting person whose basically only job is to go around and make sure their network is working well in the east texas western louisiana area for verizon and uh and he has told me before about some of their strategies that they they verizon is trying to remain you know, kind of their thing is they have that work. They've planned ahead and they've got the bandwidth and they, they're not going to, they plan to never have the instance like they did when they turned the iPhone in on in New York on AT&T and pretty much took the network down. Right. Um, Voice that kind of data. Exactly. And so, uh, from what he's saying, they're, I don't remember the figure he gave me, but they're investing millions of dollars in their infrastructure with the 4G LTE as they're rolling it out so that they don't have those kind of problems. He said, you, you could expect to have, uh, between 50 and 100 meg in some locations if you uh if you are one of the few people on the net on the network so he expected me to have no less than 20 where i was at in atlanta yeah that's one wow. of those things that that we've posited on my other show that the taiwan tech what does the world look like when you have a gigabit to your phone and it's got you know a quad core pentium processor in it? we're just a few years away from that what yeah what does that world look like 
I, don't I know. think they're gonna have to change how the school is pixelated. Then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, say, think, Chris? I think public education is is in for a, a serious wake up uh, when, um, I, you know, right now there's a ubiquity issue. There, a lot of people have access to the internet, but a lot don't. When right. everybody has access to the smartest people in the world, it kind of makes you wonder what the point of a teacher in a classroom is. Well, then your history test, though, especially would change from uh, facts and figures to learning uh, more concepts and lessons. Synthesizing the information better. Yeah, because I yeah. always said that. I, I tried that argument. When I was like in third grade. Why do I need to know what day this happened on? It's in my book right here. I can show you. It's right here in my book. If I ever need to know what it is, I can look in my book. It's right here. The other thing before I had my, my book on a phone in my pocket. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, I think, like I said, I think it's going to be a big thing that you know education is going to have to do a big once, you know, a big once over because it's it's going to be a game changer when we have that much data at our fingertips. Yeah, we're uh, on this network, on the Element OP Networks. We're pretty invested in education, uh, sort of uh, it, with our shows, and and it's of course that's. Uh, uh, two of the people on this show. That's our our livelihood. So it's a it's a big issue that that. Um, I, it makes you wonder um, what what the world is going to be like. Because, like, let's go back a hundred years. Um, the classroom was your window to the world outside your world. That's yep. where you learned about um, things other than the horse and the pig on your own farm. But now it's totally the other way around. The the windows to the world are everywhere, and we make you shut those windows when you walk in the door to the classroom. Which I think is a a bad thing to do in general. Yeah, I, I kind of think, you know, and like I said, I'm invested in education. My wife is a lifelong educator. I work for school, but I think that the days of public education are, are numbered. I don't think we have much time left with our current model. And honestly, do you think we should have stayed in this model as long as we have? Well, um, I, don't I think know. it should have changed. I think it should have changed, you know, five, ten years ago. I think it should have started to change, I should say. Yeah, I, well, well, it I've, did start to change. You know, we went to more of the... Uh, uh, content-based testing, you know, standardized testing. Isn't that the model <laughs> we're all going to? Yeah. Well, that's going to save the world, right? I think, like I said, the the issue is still one of ubiquity. There's still more people who don't have access than who do. And so the, the old model holds up as long as that changes. But as that pendulum swings more toward more who do have than don't, then the model breaks down. Yeah. Welcome to Everyday Education, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, into it. That, that's interesting how you can get there from uh, Aaron bought a new phone. Was your wife a smartphone user before, Aaron? Um, you know, some people say she was. Uh, she seemed okay with the texting. W- was uh, she a smartphone <laughs> owner? No, I'm just kidding. No, she. Uh, <laughs> so she had a she had a feature phone before. Okay. Um, I, one of the, I was actually one of the things I was trying to investigate was a way to get her a data package. Um, maybe by switching carriers, but when it all came down to it, T-Mobile, in spite of their girl, cute girl in the little dress. Uh, was going to be like five dollars cheaper than Verizon for the exact same service, one smartphone, one feature phone. So I'm paying about the same after dropping a third line that I didn't need uh, for Verizon as okay, before. So, so you got the new fo- smartphone, but she didn't, or she, no, got she the- did too. Okay. We both we both got a Samsung Stratosphere. We okay. both have a data package now. Okay. See, I, I found that with with my wife. Once I bought her her first smartphone, which was a BlackBerry, it was just 
it was like unleashing piranha on a on an elephant. And suddenly, um, she was addicted to the thing. She's she never stops Facebooking. She's on that thing all the time. Whereas you know, just a year and a half ago, she she had no interest in one. She had her little uh, uh, not, not even a feature phone. Just a, you know, it could text. It was a black and white LCD screen. And she was happy with that. But it's like once you introduce somebody to this whole new world, it's like wow, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. But now you well, know. Yeah. Well, the yeah, I tell you, is when I the, lost my smartphone, uh, when I got fired from my last job, it was like, it was a culture shock because I could no longer check Facebook anytime I wanted to. And I couldn't IMDB to see what that <laughs> actor's name was on the show and, you know, look yeah. up useless facts on Wikipedia anytime I wanted to. It was, uh, you know, I went back to my old phone I had before, which is, uh, a not so smartphone and, uh. It is. I mean, you know, it's almost like you're going through physical withdrawal because you don't have the web at your fingertips anymore. Um, yeah, I, I, my wife and I went out on our second date in 2011. It, it's happened twice so far this year. Uh, it was unexpected. Somebody invited all three of our children to a sleepover on a Friday night. I was like, wow, wow. really? Uh, so we went to a movie and I somehow managed to walk out of the house without my phone. I never do that, but it was like an appendage was gone. It was like you know, we were having a conversation over dinner, and I couldn't look up the answer to the question. I didn't, yep. you know, I didn't, I didn't know, and it was, I was, I was hobbled. Uh, I don't ever want to go back there again. Well, it, well, even worse than that, not even being able to do that, just not having your phone. Period. Right. Not being able to call somebody at will. You know, I, I was driving down uh, about forty-five minutes south of Atlanta to go to a location, and as I was coming back, I was on a conference call. And I'd use my navigation to go down there. My charger didn't, didn't have my charger with me. And my, so my phone started dying. Well, I was on this conference call, so I couldn't really just get off. My phone died. And then my charger wouldn't work. And I was, what do I do? I don't, I need, I'm meeting somebody for lunch. I don't even know their phone number. <laughs> I can't stop and use a payphone <laughs> to call them. I'm going to be late. I have no way of calling them. And I don't even know anybody's number at the office. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. You don't know anything. No. It's, and so that's that's interesting. Um, I, I picture the old grandfather who would, would talk about how kids can't do math without their calculators anymore. We're dependent on these things. We can't even remember phone numbers. In my day, we remembered everybody's phone number. Yeah, but in your day, not everybody had four different phone numbers. Yeah, I still remember Mark's home phone number. I'm assuming it hasn't changed no. all the time. She's been yeah. in commerce. Although my thought. my provider changed this week, I finally dumped my crappy CenturyLink. If, if you have CenturyLink, there's only like a couple of cities in the world that do. I'm sorry. Um, I finally dumped them after my phone didn't work for almost six months straight. Um, wow. And went with uh, cable, but with the new laws, I could take my number with me. So, no, my number didn't change. That's awesome. You still know it. I still know people's phone numbers from high school and junior college and college, but I can't, I don't know the number of my boss's cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because you used to memorize, now you don't memorize anymore. But I've worked for it for five years, so you know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny. It's crazy. Okay, maybe we should talk about something Linux related. Sure. Anyone? My phone is based off a of Linux kernel. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, we have been talking because the Android OS is Linux-based. Yeah. yeah, which is uh, a friend of mine recently asked me, uh, which phone should I get? Should I get an iPhone or an Android? And and I get that question probably. It's probably the number one question that people ask me. Um, and I gave her the answer I give everybody else, and that is uh, if you want to go simple and you don't want to change anything, you just want to use a phone, get an iPhone. If you want to do anything other than just use it, get an Android phone. 
So that was that was the story I went with. What did My, any, anybody agree or disagree with that? I agree. Yeah, if, in, if for you the most want part, people to be able to spy on you with the Carrier IQ root kit, go Android. If you don't, go iPhone. Oh, what an awesome transition, Seth. That was pro. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that story. That's, it's actually not a new story. Uh, it's I think we even covered it on this show two or three weeks ago briefly, but it has recently blown up. Yeah, uh, it's getting more and more traction in like traditional medias. Um, and um, there is actually a guide on myguides.net that can show you how to uh, find if it's on your phone and actually remove it. And since I don't have an Android phone, I don't know how well it works, but you know, try that at your own risk. But uh, Yahoo had an article that um, talked about it, and uh, when you know that was one of the ones I closed out of. So uh, Abe was just talking about how it's this, it's called Carrier IQ, and they supposedly use it for uh, getting troubleshooting data on your computer, but they've shown that it records all the keystrokes you make. So when you enter your password, that d- data is transmitted. You can recover text messages through it, even ones that were sent to you, not that you sent out. And so it's actually, and the thing is there wasn't a way to turn it off. Whereas, um, and you know, and of course the iPhone is the Apple people are spending it good for Apple, but all Apple diagnostics you have to opt into. Well, now, this is something that now was that wasn't yeah. the case just like uh, six months ago when they got caught right. logging all that stuff, and now you have to turn it on. And so it's like, oh, look, right. all of our stuff you have to turn it on since well, we yeah, got caught. Well, yeah, that's what I say. You know, Apple is spinning it good because you know they took the hit when the story wasn't as big a news as it is now. Yeah. So. Yeah, they've actually been called before a, a Senate committee, right? Um, yeah. The, the Carrier IQ people. And personally, I mean, I'm a, about as tenfold a hat as you can get about some things, but I think this is ridiculous. Um, it's anonymized, uh, aggregated bulk data so that people know if you're if everybody who travels in this area loses their connection, we need to bump up that area. That's the kind of stuff that it's designed to. Now, the software may collect more information, but uh, there's no evidence that anybody's actually using anything other than that uh, that type of information. Well, see, and that's the thing. The um, a guy Eckhart, uh, what was his first name? Trevor Eckhart. He realized, and he uh, he captured like this 17 minute long video that talked a lot about it. And Carrier IQ was able to like log contents of, of text messages and a lot of other stuff. So it wasn't as simple as oh, we lose service here, but it's, well, you know, right. here's your keystroke. And that's where I th- say there's a, a burden of proof there on the whistleblowers because the capable of and evidence of doing it are not the same thing. It's like when Google was logging uh, open Wi-Fi things, you know, they were logging it, yes, and it was open, yes, but there's no evidence that they did anything with it, and people made a big deal about it, and I think we need to be a little more sane uh, before we make stupid accusations about people. Well, right. and, you know, that's the, I, I've only read like the Yahoo news brief of the article, but apparently this video he did shows that they do capture it, not necessarily. He shows that, that the can. software captures it. He doesn't show that it's transmitted or what is done uh, with it once it's there. Hmm. Uh, makes me happy that I don't have a phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's I, not on my little uh, Motorola Razor. Well, you that. and I, on my Nexus S, which is stock <laughs> Google, um, there's an app out there now that tests that, and I downloaded the app, and it's not on my phone. So it's on, it's uh, the, the carriers put that on there. Yeah, so it looked like you, it was Sprint and um, 
what was the other one that said in the article? Sprint and somebody else. Yeah, so if you bought like a, uh, an HTC Hero on Sprint, HTC didn't put it on there. Sprint put it on there before they sent it to you. Now, I bought my phone directly from Samsung, so I'm, I'm good. You know, and, and since we're talking about craziness and government things, what did you guys think about SOPA? Yeah, we talked a little bit about SOPA on uh, the uh, the periodic table a couple of weeks ago. Um, it stands for uh, uh, Stopping Online Piracy Act. That's yep. the Senate version. The House version has a different name, um, but they like acronyms in the Senate for some reason. Um, and it's a little loopy. Uh, basically... Uh, well, Chris, why don't you give me your synopsis of it before I give mine? Well, from what I've been reading and what I've been hearing about, it's kind of like the, the uh, Chinese firewall, but for the United States. Um, a content, a copyright holder can petition to have a website black hold, and that's any website. You know, right. Even if you're, you're treading on their stuff or not, if they think you're having a problem or if they think you're infringing on their copyright they can have you shut down black hold and no one can ever reach you ever ever again well, by manipulating that, the dns right you, you can still get to it by ip address if you happen to know yep. what that is and that would easily be transmissible transmittable through uh, peer-to-peer networks and that sort of stuff so they're not actually going to stop anyone they're going to inconvenience a few people uh but well, yeah they, they they'll block it out of the dns and it'll actually become a federal crime to host a dns entry to one of these sites Right, which I think is a bunch of crap. I mean, it. What I mean, this this breathes down cr- stopping of First Amendment rights. I mean, yes, I understand that copy the content providers and the copyright holders need to protect their their stuff, but don't do it this way. This is totally wrong. I mean, whatever happened to the DMC? You know, the digital copyright takedown notices. Isn't that what that's for? Yeah. Why do we need SOPA anyway? Because. Uh According to somebody who, I wish I could remember the name, but somebody testifying in front of Congress basically made the, the statement that 80 plus percent of all Internet traffic is piracy and copyright infringement. And of course, you can say that kind of thing in front of the Senate because there are a bunch of old guys who have no idea what you're talking about. And nobody's yeah. going to ask for proof of that, which is A, unprovable and B, ludicrous. Um, it's probably 80% Netflix and the other 20% porn, but uh, <laughs> it's probably the other way around. Oh, uh, yeah, actually. it's probably 80% porn and <laughs> yeah. 20% Netflix. And since most porn is just taking a DVD and putting it online, there could be a lot of truth in that statement. Well, that's true. That's right. Yeah, because that's copyright infringement. So maybe they were counting all porn as copyright infringement. Um, <laughs> and it's just dumb um, because what what they would do is – it's it's unenforceable, right? They'd have to come to every major DNS provider, and there and I, I I presumably it would be on the ISP to block it. So they you know most most all traffic in the U.S. goes through four or five major backbones. You know the level three backbone and and um, and those guys. So I guess that's where they would do it. But I I don't really see how this is even enforceable if it were passed. But it doesn't need to be passed. It's a stupid law. Yep. I just thought to get everyone's thoughts children. on it. It's, oh. That's right. It's for the children, yes. Yeah, for the children. Because <laughs> nobody wants to be the guy who supports child pornography, so we have to have to kill this one. You know, we should start an argument that in order to keep the children from growing up into a cruel world that crushes all their dreams, we should kill them all when they're 10, and it would be for the children. <laughs> That's what we could do to get... 
that phrase stricken from the public vocabulary. Uh, but then they would just say the Nazis did it. The Nazis oh, yeah. had online porn. The Nazis had unregulated free internet. That's the way it would go. Well, <laughs> uh, one at a time. Give me a couple of weeks to think how the Nazis did it. So. Speaking of things that are interesting, though, um, last week I talked about my Kindle Fire. And I was just tolling around the internet, and I found an I a Kindle Fire teardown where they actually broke down the tear the Kindle Fire and showed what was in it. And it's kind of a neat little article over at ifixit.com. And it also shows that it's a lost leader. It costs them more to make it than they're selling yep. it for. Kind of a neat little link. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes when we when we post it. Yeah, fun stuff I did this last week. I went into the belly of the beast. I went to the Microsoft campus in Irving and had a uh, guy was talking about Office 365. And now, granted, he is a Microsoft. A, his actual title is Evangelist. and uh, But what he was showing about Office 365 was really pretty cool and how it stacked up against... Uh, of course, you know, he was comparing its strengths to Google Docs weaknesses, and I'm sure you could go the other way around, too. But it was an interesting time, and I had never... I hadn't thought much of Office 365 until sitting through his presentation, and it was it was kind of neat. And you know, I got free pizza while I was there, so it was. Uh, <laughs> and it was kind of funny because I was the one guy in the room. I was taking notes on his Office 365 presentation in my Google Docs account. That's awesome. On, on my netbook, running Ubuntu 11.10. <laughs> so sweet. Now here's here's my uh, litmus test for Office 365. Go to a document that somebody else has opened and see what happens. You get a message. I'm sorry. This is locked for editing by yada, yada, yada. Okay, I'm done. If you can't collaborate on a document, what's the point of having it online? Yep. Yeah, apparently, though, that's uh, you, you can do that now. You can have, I think, up to four people in it at the same time. So they say that there's collaborative editing now. I, the last time I looked at it, it wasn't there. Yes, and again, I I haven't tried it yet, but some of what he was saying is like up to four people, um, and, <laughs> up to four. Well, you know, wow. But uh, it it's really four whole it, people. All but all of the things you can do in it, it's like having Office twenty ten online. Right. That means you couldn't even do this show because there are five people in our document right now. Right. That's funny. Yeah, but anyway, it was uh, yeah, as far the as the, the the features of the documents. <laughs> oh. I just saw it. I thought it was cool, so I thought I would talk about it a little bit. You know, um, wouldn't be fair if we didn't give the other side some time to. To answer your question, Aaron, Chris is in there twice. That's that's the five people that show up. So I wasn't that's, me that's miscounting dedication. like I did last time. You weren't what? It wasn't me miscounting like I did last oh. time. It actually shows five <laughs> viewers. Oh, and now there's another one. Now there's six. It's me. Yeah, because yeah, I guess we're it's counting us in the chat, and if you have it open, an additional oil. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to bring up a little bit of uh, listener feedback. Uh, Boston Peng, uh, which I think represent, uh, is short for Penguin, um, was talking about Seth's recent pick uh, for uh, desktop podcast clients. Uh, you recommended, what was it, Seth? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I think it was Juice. Juice, that's right. And Chris said, use Miro, and you came back and said Miro works. He said he does everything on Amarok, which is a Linux native app, but it's also been ported to both Windows and Mac. 
says that's what he uses and it uh, uh, goes out and automatically downloads and puts them in his queue and gives him a little star for things that have not been listened to. So I wanted to uh, make a, a shout out to that and a thanks to Boston Peng for Amarok, uh, the uh, KDE version of the default media player in a lot of Linux um, distributions, but it's also available on Windows and Mac. Cool. See, I use that's what I use for my media playing when I'm playing music that I have locally is Amarok. But I guess I've never thought about doing it using it for podcasts. I'll have to look into that. Well, there you go. Uh, back when I was doing desktop stuff, I used uh, uh, the one whose name I could never remember. Banshee. No, the other one. Rhythmbox. Rhythmbox. I used Rhythmbox, and it did the same sort of thing. It would download them, and uh, you could queue it up to download at certain times, and um, that was a handy little tool. But as far as I know, it hasn't been ported to Windows yet. Okay, one other thing here. Uh, comic books. I'm guessing Aaron put that in here, being our no, comic I, book fan. No, I put that in oh, there, Seth, and I okay. thought Aaron would like it. Yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised that comic books are worth something. <laughs> yeah, I was like Seth's comment there where he apparently was surprised. Well, no, I just, you know, that's just more, uh, comic books are worth something after all. The number one issue of Action Comics, which was graded 9 out of the 10-point scale, sold for $2.16 last month, breaking okay. the previous and record. Course, and then you, you all know what the number one issue of Action Comics is, right? First it's appearance of Superman. Correct. You're correct. So, that, there you go. nerd points. <laughs> <laughs> That's Level just up. nuts. Two point six <clears throat> sixteen million. Two point bonus points. Million. Can you tell me what's on the cover? Um, yeah, Superman, like ink. he's like holding he's a like car this, up, kind with of with a car, and he's gonna yes. go crush. <laughs> correct. What, what's interesting is the the reason comic books like action comics are valuable is because they were throwaway. Nobody kept them. And so there are only a few left. But now every comic is ravenously collected and it's released in five different cover arts and everybody collects all of those. So we're going to have to go through some sort of nuclear holocaust before the comi- the, the modern comics uh, have any value. Well, and, and also you have, need to have another 80 years because that's how old that one is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, the, that, the, that and then <clears throat> the other thing that comes up is uh, you have people buying their comics online now in a digital format. Like through my yeah. fire, there's an app for that, and or stealing them online. online. Yeah, a lot of people are doing that. <laughs> yes, because the internet is 82 plus percent uh, uh, copyright infringement. <laughs> so clearly, yeah, well, you know, what's, what's really interesting is you still copies. see the price drive up though, uh, based upon rarity. So what will happen is uh, a particular issue will come out, and for some reason will suddenly become popular. Well, they have you know they pre-plan their print runs based upon past purchase amounts per title. And so, if they get a crossover that really sparks some interest, they do a lot of crossovers because that's how they, you know, they get stories to grow and blah blah blah. Then what'll happen is, say for example, there's a Spider-Man X-Men crossover, and all the X-Men readers want to pick up that Spider-Man issue because it has the last half of the story from the X-Men in it. And suddenly, that Spider-Man issue that they normally print a hundred thousand of, they have demand for two hundred fifty thousand of them, and that's when you see a, a temporary price price spike. But then it'll normally come back down to closer to, to average. Because they turn the machines back on and start printing more. Well, they'll do second print runs, but for a real collector, the first print run is the is the bona fide. Um, and sometimes they'll do second print runs. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll leave it rare like that for that very reason to, right. to generate some interest in it. It's like Disney taking all their stuff and just taking them off the shelves for no reason. Yeah. Uh, like, I couldn't go buy Aladdin right now if I wanted to. It's well, that's because Disney is evil. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. But they're, they're a friendly kind of evil. 
Mm-hmm. Sort of like Google. Uh, Seth, you were saying that there are, what, yeah. less than 100 copies of Action Comics number one yes, known to exist? Yes, believed to be about a hundred copies and most of them aren't in the condition of this particular one and the thing about this one is it was stolen back in um 19 or in 2000 this particular one was stolen and they were able to tell which one it was because of the condition it was in so it was found years later but wow. it's just kind of a kind of a neat story so hmm. Something well, I have about. lots of comics, and all of them added together do not equal two point one six million dollars. <laughs> if they did, you wouldn't still own them, would you? No, no, I wouldn't be on this podcast. I would be in the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> Gee, with my wife so. on a beach. <laughs> you know, I bought comics for a while to collect them, and uh, well, anyway, that's another story. But yeah, some of mine were worth some money, so not that much money, though. Yeah, I don't have anything like that. I've got some that are worth some money, but not that much. Uh, one other bit of Linux-related uh, news, uh, I guess it's more um, um, Android news, uh, Amazon has begun canceling orders for people who've uh, pre-ordered the new Asus uh, Transformer Prime. It's not even out yet, and some people who've ordered in the last few weeks are getting emails saying your order has been canceled due to uh, lack of availability from supplier. So apparently the supplier is having a hard time either making the demand, uh, keeping up with the demand, or they're going with other retailers other than Amazon. So if you bought an Amazon, uh, an Asus Transformer Prime, the new uh, tablet that's soon to be released from Amazon, you may not be getting it. So what you're saying is, the world in the future where humans and robots live side by side in <laughs> harmony will not be happening. Yeah, not right now. Now, I have the uh, the Asus Transformer now, not the Prime, not the Optimus version. Um, uh, and it's a great thing. I really like it. But this new one is is going to have more RAM and, and uh, I, think, I think two tri-core processors or something stupid like that. Um, but apparently they're having trouble making enough of them. So uh, I don't know if that's means Linux is, is uh, or Android is growing, or Asus is bad. <laughs> I don't know how to read that, but I thought I'd point that out. Hmm. Huh. Would you like me to do my Optimus impersonation more to make the story longer? Uh, no, that's, I don't think that'll be necessary. Okay. Did you know the guy who did uh, Optimus in the movies was also the guy who did the 80s cartoon? Same voice. Yes. He's been the voice of Optimus yep. Prime every time Optimus has spoken. That's right. And he does a great job of it. He does. And I love the line, if you haven't uh, seen um, uh, Dark of the Moon, this is going to be a minor spoiler, but uh, um, Leonard Nimoy does the voice of the new Prime. I forgot his name. And there's a great... Sentinel Prime. Sentinel Prime. And there's a great scene in there where he says, the good of the uh, many must outweigh the goods of the <laughs> good of the few. It's like, oh, there we go. Yeah. Nice crossover there. That's like, exactly. that's like Arnold saying, I'll be back in every movie he's ever done since the exactly. Terminator. Which and he like has. He's done from, it in like six different movies. And uh, you can do it from all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it, and oh, they, they managed to work it in where it's almost not noticeable, but the line really... It kind of fits, but not really. You could tell they were kind of shoehorning it in there. It's like we we had to find some way to get Nimoy to say that line. Right. You know, they were so busy driving trucks through all the plot holes. Well, <laughs> some review didn't you? They wouldn't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I put a little review on Facebook of it. Things blow up. Sam throws a fit. Think more things blow up. Robots, robots, explosion. Sam, Sam throws a fit. Robots. Sam throws a fit. Explosions. Robots. Oh, you forgot. <laughs> hot girl. Hot girl. Hot girl. Yeah, well, there wasn't yeah, as much of that in this you one. You did all three movies, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I got to say, the new hot girl was not as hot as Megan Fox. 
She yeah. she didn't didn't rise to the level. Um, well, Chrome that's a hard level to get to. Yes, that's yeah, true. But Chrome is rising to the level. Chrome is uh, rising um, now. Forty. Uh, it's it's half of the half. <laughs> like IE has roughly fifty two percent of desktop browser uses, um, and Chrome has twenty percent, and Firefox has slipped to 18 percent now it's still the, what disturbs me about these numbers is that ie is at 52 yeah yep. please friends don't let friends use ie and this, if you read the article so it even says that most that of chrome's growth IE. has been from firefox users yeah. so it's yeah. the old you know we built a new baptist church at the end of town and we're really growing like crazy and unfortunately the other three in town have all closed yeah. <laughs> their doors what you were know. you saying seth I'm saying that uh, you know, there's so many workplaces that and school districts require IE uh, yeah. for you know one. There's a lot of bad applications written for IE, so you don't have any choice but to use it. But then two, that's just some people refuse to support anything other than IE. Well, and uh, and and you know, be known being the uh, Microsoft apologist that I am known to be. Um, IE9 is actually a really good browser. They, you know, it's they fixed a lot of security holes. They've made it a lot easier to use. So I'm really okay with people using IE9. But I'm betting that of that 52 percent, it's probably like six percent IE9, and then 80 percent IE6. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, six. Well, is and, bad. and if you do stats too, okay. if you if you were really do a survey and say how many people over the age of 50 that are not in a tech related job use IE, All 97 percent. <laughs> Right, you know what I mean, yeah. that kind of thing. Unless their mom set their their son set them up with right. uh, uh, with Chrome or Firefox. So yeah, it's it's the the geeks all jumped on Firefox and built an infrastructure. And that's what made Firefox great was all the plugins and everything. And now performance is a drag because you've got fifty seven plugins in it. Chrome has fewer plugins, so everybody's running over to Chrome until they break it. Well, right. plus, they have made a little different architecture with, Google, which has more with the money, idea, hopefully, which of the best Firefox developers. <laughs> you guys have done that like three times tonight. Well, I can't hear Seth. He's yeah. so quiet now. He's, no. he's just talking in the background quietly. Okay, so... Go ahead, uh, Seth. Oh, I was just saying that, you know, Chrome is backed by Google, who has a lot more money than the Mozilla Foundation, and they have hired many of the top Firefox developers. So Firefox doesn't have the brain power behind it that it used to when it was rising to its uh, number two position. Yeah. I, I still, I'm a Firefox guy. I use both, like right now, I have two or three windows of each open, but my primary go-to browser is Firefox because of the plugins. Same yeah, here. What, what I was saying, what I was saying earlier was that Chrome is taking steps to try to build a different architecture with the idea, hopefully, of preventing future bloating and problems with plugins, you know, by the whole gears they did, Google gears, and uh, the fact that it's got a separate task manager and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see if in another year and a half of Chrome is as bloated or could be as bloated. But the problem with Chrome is is that, um, or I guess the problem with Firefox right now is that memory leak that everyone seems to be getting. Yeah. You know, and uh, that, that's just killing. Yeah, Firefox six, seven, right and eight. Now. Which all came out last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good one, um, Linux Journal Reader's Choice. I'm not sure I even want to go over that. Okay. They like it was just they like Ubuntu. Debian's the number one, uh, number two. Okay. Typical. Speaking of Ubuntu, though, what's new with uh, Mint 12? 
in a uh, world where I'm in 12. Sorry. <laughs> Aaron, 12. Aaron, you're breaking up really, really badly. I'm going to hang up on you and call you right back. Yeah, Man, you're Cyloning. Yeah. Cyloning. Cyloning. We, we know a Twit user's uh, listeners in the house. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Linux Mint 12. Chris, I'm going to let you uh, run point on this because you've had more exposure to That's all to I've it. got to say about that. <laughs> 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 uh, since you've had more exposure to it than I have, but uh, uh, there are some interesting things in Mint 12. Uh, Mint, I like Mint. It's my um, favorite distribution and the one that I recommend people use most of the time, largely because they have focused on ease of use more than anybody else, and a lot of things we're going to talk about that are new in Mint 12 are all about ease of use. So take it away, Christopher. Yeah, Um for my week and a well, let's see, week and two days of using Mint 12, um, I was actually really shocked at how well they've they've twisted GNOME 3 to have both the GNOME 2 look and feel and all the bells of GNOME 3 at the same time. Um, it's actually replaced Fedora for me for my home for my work machine. Um, At this point, I'd like to remind our listeners that you're listening to a Fedora ambassador say that he no longer uses Fedora. We've secretly replaced his coffee with new Senka decaffeinated. No, um, it's and I don't know if it's if it's going to be that way forever. But right now, Mint 12 is is running at my work machine. Um, I still can't run it on my laptop, which we all know from my last talk from fedora that it's not a distribution issue but a kernel issue um so ladies and gentlemen of the everyday linux community can we just take up a a collection to get chris a new laptop so that we don't have to hear him whine about it every show can we do that (laughs) (laughs) that would be nice i don't think it's ever going to happen but uh you never know but from what i've seen so far a lot of the things that mint has added was well like you said earlier mark it's it's usability add-ins that make GNOME 3 look like GNOME 2, so it's more functionality. You don't have to keep running up to the upper left corner to get to the actions menu to actually see your applications or to your desktop switcher. Um, which yeah, The thing that makes these uh, um, usability things that Chris talked about possible is a set of extensions that, uh, that the Mint team has coded called the Mint gnome shell extensions they've gone to a great deal of trouble to hard code some add-ons into uh the gnome shell for gnome 3 to make it look and work like gnome 2 so you still get all the goodness of gnome 3 but your nice little comfy environment that you're used to from gnome 2 and then alongside that they they have a new thing that they're still working on it's still considered beta called mate that actually lets you run native gnome 3 and gnome 2 code side by side on the same desktop so they've thrown both of those into Mint 12, and really that's a big deal in terms of, of transitioning people from GNOME 2 to GNOME 3. Did you, Have you tried Mate yet, Mark? No, all? I haven't really played with it. Uh, I'm just entirely reading <laughs> press release. Sorry. Okay. Um, from I haven't tried Mate yet, but I was listening to the Mint podcast, and they were talking about how they wouldn't even consider Mate beta yet they would actually consider they they think it's still more or less basically an alpha release but um in the week and a half that i was running mint 12 i saw an update from mate about every every other day there was an update so they are just jamming the the updates down the pipe for this they really want to get this fixed so um 
I'll give some more testing on it this week and see what I think of Mate. But uh, you know, so far from what I've seen, um, everyone can probably remember my issues with Evolution and Mappy before. That the issues aren't there right now for for Evolution connecting to Exchange. So, so if you're in a corporate environment using Exchange, you can still use Evolution. There, and I don't know what this next thing is, but um, I'm not able to get to network shares very easily through Mint. And I don't know if that's just Nautilus and it's not uh, handi- it doing the handshake correctly or what. But uh, other than the network shares being goofy, so far Mint dwells a, a, a home run out of the gate. Seth, uh, Aaron, either of you guys had any chance to look at it at all? No, I uh, read a review of it, and the reviewer liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still really happy with my uh, uh, 11.11 or 11.10 Ubuntu. It It's rocking my netbook awesomely. All right, well, I thank you for that intellectual honesty there on this show about Mint 12. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, I see you talking, but I think you muted yourself. I heard this guy on Everyday Linux say that he read a review from another guy that said it was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your that's your whole exposure to it, huh? That's it. You know, some of us are not able to download ISOs in four minutes, so we can't check out multiple, <laughs> multiple things a day. So, uh, so with that collection for my new laptop, we're also having a collection for... For better um, bandwidth. For better bandwidth for Seth. I see. <laughs> Just, you know, I don't want to totally tank the show, but it, since we brought it up, what do you guys think about the National Broadband Initiative? Is that something that we should do on a federal government level? No. Tell okay. me why, Aaron. <laughs> I just, I, we don't have a, uh, I don't, as far as I know, we don't have a um, utilities for the most part, even though they're regulated to some degree by the government, as far as safety, they're still not mandated to certain levels. There's no, there's nothing that makes somebody put power unless I pay for it. If I have a 4,000-acre farm and I decide I want to put a house in the middle of my 4,000-acre farm, the government doesn't force the power company to run power to my house for free or guarantee me a certain amount of power or give me a certain pricing because of that. I have to pay to get that electricity in the middle of my 4,000 acres if I want to. But there are government uh, subsidies for them to run lines. There are cooperative. There, there are lots of ways to make it affordable, more affordable for you to do that. We have the telecommunic- telecommunications infrastructure fund that are that has been around for years to help fund getting glass mile phone lines. Um, you know, so it's not without precedent in the U.S. Right. True. Yeah, I just I don't know because you know part of I could go somewhere else where there was better bandwidth, but I like where I live and one of the negatives on where i live is the lack of super high speed um but to me the positives outweigh the negatives so i don't really think that you know because it is harder and more expensive to get high speed to some areas do we really want to you know have everyone in the country paying to get somebody out in the appalachians high speed bandwidth um yeah it's just for me it's more of a general principle of what are my tax dollars really meant to pay for well and you know you guys are all living south where there's a little bit more um bandwidth in general but up here where we're kind of still in the sticks i mean um 
my school that we I work at, I mean, we're pushing the top of the barrel with our 10 meg down. And it would be nice if we had some more federal dollars up here to help bring us up into the same network that you guys are in. Because yeah. we're so far out of the, the bandwidth pipes that it's, you know, there's still a lot of people around here that the lowest or the cheapest bandwidth is only a 256, 256 pipe. Yeah. And that'd be nice also that if I didn't have to pay for it, for you to have. Right. <laughs> but you already paid for having us getting phone up this far. That's yeah. true. So, yeah, the, the, what's, what, I, I don't want to ask about that either. I don't want to carry this line, uh, conversation <laughs> on because we we could definitely talk about. it. I just thought I'd uh, ask the question and, and get some quick updates. But we do have a question from the chat room uh, that actually about the show topic. So I want to get back oh. to that. Um, Element seven thirty four uh, says uh, on Mint, uh, can I expect to uh, Mint twelve to support quad core systems out of the box? And only if far- the government subsidizes it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Only <laughs> if the government subsidizes. My understanding of that is yes. It, as long as you get the sixty four bit version, it shouldn't be a problem at all. Yep, I would say my machine at work is a quad core, and it uses all four right out of the box. The question would be though, is not would the operating system run it, but would the programs run it and i would say if you're running a 60 bit 64 bit machine with all the 64 bit programs um would you what would you guys say 75% of the programs are going to run all we use all four uh, i think uh yeah for the most part that's not going to be an issue some will get stuck to a particular core uh and run that way uh my my machine not to brag uh but just cuz it is germane my machine has two quad core processors in it and uh, Mint has no trouble with that at all. It runs just fine. <laughs> Aaron's giving me the aren't you snotty face. But no, it, like I said, it really was germane to the conversation. Um, but anyway, so back to... Uh, um, Why are you bringing the Jacksons into this for? I don't know. <laughs> germane Jack, thank you. Thank you. So uh, back to socialism today. Um, and... and <laughs> <laughs> I, I what what I just wanted to to sound off one more thing. I think that we what we talked about at the beginning of the show with uh cellular providers upping their bandwidth, I think they're going to solve the problem for us. Yeah. Uh because the when everybody has a gigabit to their phone, um you're not going to be paying a $25 tether fee. That's just going to be stupid. People aren't going to put up with that. And so I think people will carry their bandwidth with them instead of buying from an ISP. Still running the same problem, though, as far as where Chris is at. I'm assuming Chris with towers. Like, I was looking at a couple of the maps today as I was shopping phones, and there's big sections of the mountains out in the west that are still uncovered by any, at least by any Verizon or T-Mobile network. Um, and I'm sure you're running that some, but I would I would hope that, you know, at least in any kind of population center, you'd be able to pull something in. Yeah. Well, it's not too bad, but it... it- you know, like if you're on the freeway, like uh, where I'm at, there, we're we're right next to the freeway, so there's a lot of coverage around here. But if you start driving out off the freeway a little bit, you forget it. You're gonna lose all your 3G. You'll be dropped down into edge or whatever. Well, I actually live, you know, what, ten miles from the from the the loop that goes around one of the largest metro areas in the United States, and I have a dead spot on my way home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I live in what's known as the the um, IT corridor, you know, in in North Dallas, uh, and and there are dead spots there where where some of the what you were talking about, Chris, that the the south the the north has to catch up to the south in terms of bandwidth. We have like two of the three major lines across the country run through North Texas, 
Um, and we still have, you know, Seth. I mean, Seth is within an hour <laughs> of one of those areas and still can't get decent bandwidth to do yep. both Skype and a Hangout. Total side yep. note, anecdotal. I had a guy that worked that I knew that worked in an IT department for some company, consulting company, and they just happened to be in the office building, and their floor was below one of the offices. I think it was for UUNet, that one of the backbone uh-huh. providers for the internet in uh, one of their Dallas Nexus hub things. And so somehow he became good, re- really good friends with some of the guys, and they actually ended up getting their connection to the backbone by drilling a hole through the floor and dropping a cable down from one <laughs> floor in an office building to another, and uh, which violated all kinds of firewall, <laughs> physical firewall, not electronic firewall issues and things. And so he, w- he was literally plugged into one of their switches. You know, it was on, they were on, it was an outside course he was still outside their dmz and all that kind right. of stuff but he didn't go through the phone company to get there it was pretty interesting so what do you have like terabit connection speeds i don't know but if it wasn't working he could just jank it a couple times and get there just <laughs> <laughs> make the server rack rock back and forth fred that red brain was not good enough for him give him, give him two more mag or something that's what happen. uh so anyway back to linux mint um other than the um, the gnome enhancements. There's not much else to write about now that uh, to talk about. That, that's that that's an understatement because those user enhancements are huge. Yeah, they're but, they're game changers. Right. But other than the that stuff, otherwise, um, it's just Ubuntu. It's just the Mint you know and love. They've added some new artwork. Mint has always been known for having good artwork. Uh, so there's some some better themes, and they've moved to the dark theme that everybody seems to like these days. Um, and so, uh, other than that, I mean, if, if, I, we're not spending a lot of time on it because there's not a lot of time to spend. If you know Mint, then you know Mint 12. Uh, but they've they've really gone through a lot of effort to make it like Mint 11 and Mint 10, and and that's what's notable, and the fact that it isn't such a huge change. Yeah, one of the things I do I really dislike though is the Mint Software Center. Um, yeah, and it's it's the same way in the Ubuntu one too. I really dislike their new, the new Software Center. Um, Synaptic works so much better for installing multiple softwares. You know, um, for mo- for the beginning couple of days when I was running Mint twelve. I quit using the software center. I just went straight to the command line and just started typing in the command, the packages I knew I wanted, well, like Skype and XChat and stuff like that. I just gave up on the software center because I couldn't check, you know, a laundry list of software that I knew I needed. I had to do each one individually, and it's installing as I'm trying to go to the next one, which slows down the whole searching process. It, it was just a pain. Can't you install the Synaptic software center? Yeah, you can. You can, but it's not. It, it's if no. Hold on, let me think. Okay, it you is. Can ins- with Ubuntu. Yeah, it's installed by default actually, but it's buried under. You have to actually know what it is to go find it. It's not. You know, you can't type in software and pull it up because software pulls up the software center. Well, th- and that's just the move to the appliance uh, nature of uh, computers these days. There's. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, yeah. They're going to keep getting uh, more and more GUI-esque and uh, less and less command line-esque, and you're just going to have to accept that, Chris. You're, you're no. a dinosaur, and that's just the no, way it is. I, 
Not changing. Sorry, not going to change. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all, Linux. Linux, like Windows, in a lot of ways, like Microsoft, almost never takes anything out. It, yeah, it, it has legacy bits that hang on forever for just for guys like you. It's your fault, Chris. Uh, but just just for guys like you, things Rise never. Rise of the gooey kid. <laughs> <laughs> this is the evil ass themed show, yes. apparently. <laughs> that would maybe we should make a movie, the Rise of the Planet of the Gooey. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, I think they already did. It was a porn movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been pirated 82% of the time. <laughs> Probably. And watched 53% of the time on IE. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving right along. Um, so what about those? Uh, I see that we have something in there about the 20 highest rated packages in Ubuntu. Do you want to well, cover that know, at all? Was, uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. If um, and we can put the link in the show notes. There's just a list of many different programs that don't come necessarily with the OS that you might want to throw in there and take a look at. Yeah, just to complete the user experience. Like Chromium web browser, for example, it comes with Firefox. So if you want Chrome, there's not Chrome. There's Chromium, I think. Well, no, actually, there is Chrome. There's both. Um, yeah. SM Player, my favorite media player. Um, GNU Cache, Blender. Well, there's an esoteric. Who needs Blender, really? Um, well, if you're using OpenShot, you do to have those, some those transition. <laughs> Synaptic Package Manager for Chris. There you go. Um, what else? Quake. Quake's fun. That's a nice thing to have. If you're yeah. like me and jump in and out of the tur- in the command line all the time. Mumble, uh, voice chat program for gaming. XChat, which is my favorite IRC client. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll put that link in there. Just uh, the 20 most highly rated. I wonder most highly rated by who. Does it say in the article? It, it, just people. <laughs> just people. You know. <laughs> anonymous it, strangers well, on the Internet. I think what they're pulling from. If you can't from, trust anonymous strangers on the Internet, who can you trust? So <laughs> That's what Wikipedia is all about, right? Yeah. I think what they're pulling from, though, is you have that option to, to opt into the software thing where you can say, you know, yes, I, I'm a part of this software, or this software is a part of my system. You know, I can't think of what it's called now off the top of my head. Where they, it's a tick box to add your, yes, I installed this tick to the program. I try to get rid of ticks whenever possible. I don't uh, usually add them. Yeah, we dip our dogs to get rid of those things. I don't have to worry about ticks right now. It's too damn cold. (laughs) (laughs) How is the weather up there in lower Canada, Chris? Uh, Well, right now we're approximately 12 degrees Fahrenheit. 12 degrees Fahrenheit. I walked out in the front yard this morning. Feels like one with the wind. I walked out in the front yard a little earlier today in shorts with no shoes on to look at my Christmas lights. Yeah. Yeah, you guys suck. <laughs> Our high tomorrow is supposed to be, you know, 15. Yeah, I have wow. a friend that was all, a training. It should be I've all sorts of fun tomorrow when I get up. Outside and, of Madison, and, and I said, I texted him and said, how is the weather up there? And he said, brisk. Brisk. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you don't have broadband. It's too darn hard to dig fiber under permafrost. <laughs> well, the, the packets keep freezing together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the packets are frozen. I like that one. I'll remember that one. Yeah, everything slows down as you reach zero degrees Kelvin, and that's you know, exactly. <laughs> just pretty close to where you are. So, okay, uh, let's move right along. Uh, Chris, what is our command line tip of the week? The command line tip is RM. 
And if you're in a command line and you're trying to remove a folder, you need to have the dot, the tick, R after it. So it'd be RM space hyphen R. And that's going to remove the folder with any files that are in it. So if you're trying to get rid of a whole folder and everything that you put into it, that's what you're going to need to do to remove it. Um, there is another one you can add to that that I'm not going to say over the air because uh, that will force anything to be removed. And that could be dangerous if you don't know where you're, if you're in the wrong place and you're doing an RM enforce. And yeah, it's, you could hose your whole system. Yeah. And for in case you don't know, RM stands for remove. So yep. don't do it like a weapon. Don't point at anything you're not willing to destroy. <laughs> and it will destroy it quickly. That's right. Seth, end user tip of the week. What do we got this week? Well, in keeping with the tinfoil hat unofficial theme of the week, I thought I would share a link with how to secure your Facebook privacy, at least for this week, um, because, you know, they love to change their privacy standards. But um, And this is through ZDNet is where I found this. There's just a gallery steps on how to secure different aspects of your Facebook profile. So if you're a tinfoil hat wearing kind of guy, you may or may not have Facebook. But if you do and you don't want everybody to know everything about you, you can check out this link and block some or all of your profile from public view. All right. It, it, that, if you're on Facebook, it's such a chore, but check it regularly because they really do change things often. And their default behavior is always, uh, oh, we've made a change and now everything's open. Oh, and all those things you manually closed last time, they're open now too. Oh, and that list you opted out of, we no longer have that list. You now have to opt out of it all the time individually. Right. So uh, they use the hat version, H-A-T, which is have at thee. That's that's their (laughs) modus operandi usually. I saw a great webcomic. It was uh, about the new Facebook phone. And it was like, uh, you know, has great new features like automatically sharing all your contacts immediately as soon as you add them in there and uh, uh, automatically texting your ex-girlfriend every time you post that you went out on a date and uh, <laughs> uh, uploading every picture you ever take immediately and po- and posting it on Facebook. Yeah, one of my physicians that I work with said, even he, you know, he's not a, a technophile at all. Even he's like, um, you know, you got a you got a button, you know, a raised button on your phone that instantly uploads something to the internet. How could that go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you have a um, Google Plus on your Android phone, that's exactly what happens. You every picture you upload, of course, it's something you have to opt into, not out of. Right. Um, and I have it turned on, and I think it's great. But unfortunately, my daughter like has this little color thing she does, and every time she saves one of her things, it gets uploaded. So I have to go through every now and then and down uh, delete like 150 pictures of dancing aardvarks that she's put up there over and over and over again. Okay. Uh, anything else, guys, before we uh, uh, tend to uh, wrap up the show? Mark, can I do the contact this part since I haven't said much? Oh, please. <laughs> please do, Aaron. All right, I'll do my best to, to cover all the bases. If you have enjoyed this frivolity and fun that you've heard tonight, including the evil labs and, and my slam on the government's interference in our daily lives, you can find more of this wonderful fun at elementop.com. That's element like periodic table and opie as in taylor.com. Uh, you can follow us up at Twitters, Element OP, Facebook, Element OP, uh, pretty much Google Element OP, and you will find all of us and many other podcasts of a similar and or better or worse nature. Um, all available through the Element OP network. If you like, you can even go to the Element OP website, elementop.com, as I previously mentioned. And up in the right-hand corner, you haven't moved it, have you, Mark? It's the top right-hand corner, correct? Top right-hand corner. 
there's a there's a great little opportunity for you to interact with us uh, interact with us on the show. Uh, sorry, my my mainframe skipped there for a moment. And the way you can do that is <clears throat> either a you can call us and leave us a voicemail, or you can enter your number and Opie will call you, and you can leave him a voicemail that way. So if you want to dial that number and leave us a voicemail, it's just really easy. It's five five nine. I am Opie. That's O P I E. I That's am Opie. So you have to do your job. Exactly. Now. <laughs> so uh, anyway, go out there, find us on the interwebs, and interact with us. You're part of our family, whether you want to be or not. I would like to add one other thing in this holiday season, this uh, season of, do that. of giving. Uh, oh, you were going to do it, Seth? Go ahead, Seth. Yeah. I was going to say, as you do your holiday shopping for your loved ones, both near and far. And even people you don't like. To, that's fine, too. Yeah. How about going to elementop.com slash Amazon has your link to the Amazon portal, so that way we get a small percentage. Uh, it doesn't change the price. You get the same great Amazon service and the same great Amazon prices. We just get like a little finder's fee. Just uh, don't do order your Asus uh, Transformer Prime through there. Because <laughs> you may not get it. Yeah. And if you'll go on and spend $10,000, Mark can afford to buy Chris a new laptop. That's right. And uh, I will say that I got my first check just this week from Amazon Associates. It was $111 for all of 2011. So in the last 12 months, I have earned $111. And that's you guys doing that. And, and I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious. I'm not exactly going to get rich off of that. But hey, that's 100 bucks I didn't have before. That's so right. thanks a lot. And uh, so some of you are using it. And, and please continue to do so. It's, it's uh, effortless on your part and uh, could mean a lot to us. And also, if you're so inclined, there is a tip jar on our website. Click the button there and you can send us uh, a recurring payment uh, of two or five dollars, or you can simply make a one-time uh, donation if you want to the show. Um, I don't, I don't generally spend a lot of time begging for money, but the fact is, this is expensive. We've talked about bandwidth, we've talked about computing, um, and it does cost me money to do this. If you enjoy it, send me a couple bucks. S- send me a dollar an episode, fifty bucks a year. There you go. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, I'm, I um, I'm. You know, just on the threshold of breaking that $10 mark on my Google AdSense. Wow. <laughs> and how long have you been doing that? Uh, since June, June, okay. July. So six months, you've almost made $10. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. You guys did a great job of ending the show for me. And so I think there's nothing else to say, but that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. <laughs> have a good night. <laughs>